welcome back to the Adventures Advising Podcast. My name is Matt Markin, and I am thrilled to be back for this latest episode of the pod. After completing episode 75 back in January, I decided to take a few months off and just take a break from three years of this podcast. And I had to make a decision if I wanted to let the podcast be part of advising history and move on, or if there was more that the podcast could offer you in the higher ed field. And well, I guess if you're listening to this, you know it was the latter, and here we are. So today's episode is about working as administrators and navigating what that is like, dealing with challenges, and even preparing for future administrators. So to talk about their experience, let's welcome our special guest today. So first up is Terry Farr. Terry currently serves as Nakata President of the Board of Directors and works at the University of Illinois for Urbana-Champaign as Associate Director for Academic Advising and Student Success in the Division of General Studies. She has a career in academic advising that began in 1995 and has worked in various capacities as an advisor and advising administrator at many college campuses. Areas of interest and expertise include training and development, working with students from liberal arts, social science interests, career development, and advising administration. Terry has been active in Nakata since 1995 and has attended and presented at numerous region and annual conferences. Terry has served on the Region 5 Steering Committee, many region conference planning committees, and she especially is fond of helping coordinate poster sessions. <laughs> served as chair of the Nakata Professional Development Committee and was co-editor of the Nakata Academic Advising Core Competencies Guide, first edition. Terry also co-authored with Dan Turner a chapter titled Launching with an Effective Training and Development Program in the recently published Nakata publication, Comprehensive Advisor Training and Development, third edition. Terry lives in Champaign, Illinois with her dog, Barry, and her cat, Ben. Terry, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for asking me to, to join you with this. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. And we're also glad to see uh, Dr. Cecilia Santiago-Gonzalez. Cecilia is the Assistant Vice President of Strategic Initiatives for Student Success at Cal Poly Pomona. She leads the university's efforts related to academic advising and student success. This includes developing student-centered policy, leveraging data to support students in a timely and holistic manner, and removing institutional barriers that hinder student success. As part of her portfolio, she oversees the Bronco Advising Center, the Professional Development Program for Advisors, Student Success Communication, Graduation Pledge Programs, Undeclared Advising, and Advising Technology. She also supports the university's Graduation Initiative 2025 efforts. Cecilia has also served as an adjunct faculty member in the Educational Leadership Development at Cal State Fullerton, where she supervised graduate students engaged in their student affairs, higher education fieldwork. She also taught courses in educational leadership, research and assessment, leadership, history of higher education, and developmental writing. Cecilia received a Doctor of Education in Educational Leadership from the University of Southern California. Her dissertation work focused on identifying how faculty act as institutional agents for low-income Latino students in STEM disciplines at a Hispanic-serving institution. She has a master's degree in college student affairs from Azusa Pacific University and a bachelor's degree in social work from Whittier College. Cecilia is a very proud and also tired mom of Camila, Emmy, and Luna, a precious Maltipu. She is married to David, a banker by day, and a devoted Laker fan all the time. Welcome, <laughs> Cecilia. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Both of you were on a panel along with uh, Dr. Shonda Goward from San Jose State University um, at the Region 8-9-10 conference in Las Vegas uh, this past end of February, early March. And we thought, hey, it would be a great idea to have you on to kind of have a podcast version of this. 
Uh, Shonda couldn't make it for this one. Uh, we are going to have Shonda on for a future episode. But uh, let's dive into some of the questions. So kind of expanding on your bio, can you kind of give uh, like your path into higher ed and kind of where you're at at your institution in terms of your department and what you supervise or who you supervise? And maybe we'll start with uh, Terry. Sure. Um, so my path into my career is um, it's really looks like a ball of twine. It's just I had no real um, plan how I ended up here. I just was introduced to um, academic advising as a career um, by uh, a woman who I happened to meet when I was at Illinois State University. And she introduced me to the career and hired me on as her graduate student. Um, and I immediately fell in love with it. And ever since then, I've worked um, as an academic advisor and um, and have loved every minute of it. Um, here at Illinois, uh, in this role I'm in, I supervise 10 academic advisors. Uh, I'm responsible for training and development. Um, I'm responsible for hiring advisors. And we're in the middle of that process right now. So uh, I'll be doing reference checks um, here this week. And so that's kind of an exciting time, I think. Um, there's nothing that makes me happier than meeting new uh, folks that are just entering their career in advising, um, helping them onboard, understand how we do things here in DGS, our ethos really, working with students, that are undeclared and exploring all the different majors and programs and things that we have here at Illinois. Um, so that's a big part of what I do. The other kind of um, special place that I, um, I work with students also that are having uh, struggles academically. I coordinate a program here in our, um, in our division uh, for students on academic probation and uh, so while I don't actually um, hold, have a caseload of students, I coordinate the program, do all the training and so forth uh, for the advisors so that they feel very comfortable working with students that are struggling academically. Um, and then I also work with students in crisis. So these are these are areas that are very special to me. Um, I feel, you know, drawn to that kind of area. Um, I have no qualms speaking with parents that are having um concerns about their students, helping them navigate through all of the different things that we can do here on campus to help students when they're in crisis. And so those are just some of the things that that I'm really responsible for. And then, of course, there's always that 5% of, of things that <laughs> we have to do that we never really knew we had to do, but now we do. <laughs> anyway. Other duties aside. Yeah, other duties aside, <laughs> that very famous line, yes. Yeah. So that's primarily what I what I do. But how I got here is it's kind of a, like I said, it looks like a ball of twine and I wouldn't have it any other way. I really loved my journey and it's, it's unique and it's mine. And I, I'm proud of, of everything that I've done for students. Yes, absolutely. Cecilia. Oh my goodness. Similar to Terry. I mean, how many of us will say that we started our higher ed careers sort of, we stumbled upon it, right? Like who grows up saying, I want to work in student affairs or higher education as a, as a child, right? And especially for someone, I'm a first-generation college graduate, and so uh, the notion of a higher education was foreign to me until maybe, you know, when my aunt uh, was the first one in our family to, to go to UCLA, and so she really paved the way. And so 
really, uh, my career has been informed uh, by my own experience as a college student and as a student who um, who grew up in a low-income household and, and really has driven my passion in really serving the students of the CSU um, and obviously at Cal Poly Pomona. I've been in admissions. I started working in admissions on my alma mater. I worked in uh, multicultural leadership development, multicultural identity-based um, centers. And I have a secret. I've never been an academic advisor. So, um, you know, I sort of uh, landed in this uh, in, in this type of role because of my commitment to ensuring that uh, Cal Poly Pomona can be the best place that it can be both for our students um, and really seeing systemic changes um, and it can be the best place for our advisors as well, for people to thrive and to feel like they're institutional agents themselves and that they can create change for our students. So that's really how, how I landed. I, um, in total, I oversee under my portfolio more than 50 people. Um, we actually just went through an advising redesign uh, where every student is assigned to a caseload and now all the advisors report centrally. So that's been exciting. And, you know, we're learning a lot and um, I'm learning a lot about myself as a leader um, as well. And so it's been um, it's been great. And like Terry, you know, I typically, you know, I talk to parents. Um, I. Um, I do um, work with students who are in difficult situations and partner with colleagues across campus to ensure that we have a support system for them. And I actually also thrive in that environment and really, you know, thinking of ways in which I can have those really important connections with students when they're in difficult times. So I love my job and I'm just really glad um, to be able to um, to really serve uh, our students in our campus community. Both of you are talking about like the students in crisis, and I know like that's something that has been around in terms of okay, we want to make sure that we can work with these students, um, make sure we can identify them, get them whatever assistance we can for them. But it seems like over these last few years, like it's just kind of exploded in the sense of there's we there's so many more students um, out there because almost like you're almost on call twenty four seven with with a lot of this. Or, you know, you're the first person that because you work in this certain department to be able to connect with that student or contact them. How do you navigate all of that? I mean, for me, it's just resilience um, and, and knowing that, you know, that I guess, you know, having done it for so long, I just I'm and I'm kind of an activator. Um, that's one of my strengths. And so. I think that for me, I just go there, you know, I just immediately try to hear what the problem is, what's going on. Um, we have contacts on campus. We have an amazing uh, Dean of Students office who and a student assistance center, and they are just right there available for us when we need them. Um, I know when it's time to bring the counseling center in. So I think that that for me, it just knowing that there's a, a situation that needs to be handled um, and I just mobilize. It just, I get, it's just part of what I do, and I've been trained to do that. And um, at times, you have to step back and talk to colleagues and allow yourself to feel the feelings that you need to feel, right? But then we know that there'll be a student later on that's going to need your assistance just as much, and so it's time to, you know, regroup and and move forward. But um, you know, I think that's just the part of the role that we have to play. Somebody is, has to be there available, you know, to help students when they're in crisis. And I was a student in crisis once. 
And so I knew what it, you know, I just, and I probably don't think back in 1978 when I was feeling that way, I don't know that there was really anyone to help me. Um, I think I relied upon my friends and family um, to kind of help get me over that hump. But um, now we have so many wonderful resources available to us on our campuses um, that we can, you know, that we can mobilize really quickly and, and, you know, hopefully mitigate any kind of real, you know, real serious situations that might occur. But it's not easy. And I know Cecilia feels the same way. None of this is easy, but it's work that we're called to do and we will do it. We just rise to the occasion and get it done. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll add um, to Terry's comment about sort of the, the personal, right? Um, I remind myself that I'm not alone, mm-hmm. um, that there is there are colleagues across campus that are here also to support the students that I don't have to solve every issue, mm-hmm. um, that I need to be empathetic um, to the situation, be there for the student and recognize when it's time for me to step, take a step back and, you know, let others, um, you know, who have the training and um, the capacity to to support the student in a better way, uh, but really, um, you know, being there for the student. And I think the other piece as administrators is developing the developing the capacity. So I think Terry talked about the structures that we have in place, and so we've been able to to develop structures where we develop an early alerts uh, process where we. Uh, allow faculty or uh, request faculty to submit, you know, alerts for students who may need timely support through the academic. And we have a system in place and we get to partner with our colleagues in in student affairs to ensure that we have the structures in place, the policies in place. Unfortunately, COVID pushed us as, believe it or not, we've never had a posthumous degree policy. And so also not only the student, but their families when, when, you know, we have students, unfortunately, who pass away. So that's not like glamorous, right? But it is so necessary in order for us to have guardrails and the support for us to do our job. Um, so that's been, that's also very helpful in, 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 in supporting students is to have some guidelines, some policies, some protocols, and anticipating some issues that may came up come, that may come up uh, when we're in these types of crises. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into the admissions game satire edition and uncover my top secrets for sure-fire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop-your-face-onto-a-water-polo-hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with the admissions game wherever you podcast. And I want to kind of take you both back to, you know, when you originally were moving up in higher ed and going into like an administrator role. Mm-hmm. Um, and even now as an administrator, so maybe we'll start with Cecilia and then and go to Terry. What kind of challenges or obstacles um, have you faced when you were moving into um, the administrator role in higher ed? And are there any challenges that that you're still facing? Mm-hmm. I think I think one, and I'll speak from my perspective as a as a woman of color, first gen professional, 
Um, not having anyone who had been an administrator or had been in a in a high in an administrative role um, is difficult. I think there's there's a little bit of imposter syndrome in in that in terms of just trying to say, am I ready for this? Am I very am I really ready for this? Um, navigating people's perceptions of who you are or who you should be based on, you know, um, you know being a woman or being a mother or being a Latina, you know, whatever it may be and, and navigating some of that. And, um, you know, I am very open about, um, I've experienced, um, I don't know if it's appropriate to call it mansplaining, um, you know, where, where my thoughts, ideas sort of get um, taken uh, by, by particular men, not necessarily only men, but particularly men. And, in, in a in a very female dominated environment, right? Um, but I, I see it more often, and I and I've been committed to myself and to other other women in 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 in, in my context that I will disrupt that um, because it is really important that that your ideas, your thoughts, your contributions are valued as much as others. And so I think that's been the challenge that I've been um, I've been I've been faced with recently, um, and it's it's. You know, I think for me, it has been really important to have an opportunity to talk to others like Terry, like Shonda, to talk and hear their stories because it can feel a little bit lonely. Um, you know, this is, you mentioned this, Matt, it's a 24-7, um, you know, role. Uh, regardless of how much you try to balance it, it is. It's, you know, there's never ending. There's been so much change change institutionally, change in the landscape of higher education. Um, and so I think that's the other challenge as an administrator is that you have to continue to keep abreast of the issues that are impacting and anticipating what's going to come next and how is this going to impact and how am I going to support my team and how am I going to, you know, make sure that I'm prepared or that we're prepared as a team uh, to face these challenges. And, and that can be mentally exhausting, Um so those are those I would say those would be my my two challenges in, in administration at the moment. Um, I would say moving from I was an academic advisor until I took on this role. Um, and that was weird. <laughs> I mean, in a in a way, because, you know, you're an advisor one day and then the next day you're supervising advisors. Right. And I, I'm going to say this, that um, I still have a little trouble like talking to an advisor about maybe something that, you know, I don't think they did quite right or something wasn't, I don't think handled properly. So, you know, you got to get all the information. You've got to, you know, kind of go through the conversation with folks and find out what happened. And so that's taken, that's been kind of hard for me, I think. Um, I don't really think we have great training available um, necessarily to help people become administrators um, in an academic advising setting. Even our supervisory training, I think, lacks because there's nothing like what we do. It's not like regular supervising, you know. I think that's part of it. So I've had to kind of figure that out on my own. Um, trial and error, um, definitely. I have have some mentors that I bounce some things around. Um, I think our director has been really encouraging in helping us learn how to, you know, utilize kind of coaching uh, techniques with our, you know, that's great for students, but it's also great when you're a supervisor. Um, so some of those techniques have been helpful. 
just developing your leadership potential, I think is a lot of it as well. So I don't really look at it necessarily as supervision. I look at it more like um, mentoring, collaboration, coaching, these sorts of things, being very transparent with my um, advisors that I want the number one goal for me is for them to be successful and have all of the tools that they need in order to be successful so that our students are successful because i think it's very symbiotic i don't our students can't be successful unless our advisors are successful and feeling very well trained and well supported so that's kind of my approach to the whole thing um i was just telling matt before we got going that um <laughs> i'm leaving for a conference tomorrow our regional conference and I already have probably, I don't know, eight or 10 things that I'm going to have to do while I'm there that have nothing to do necessarily with the conference um, at all. So that means huddling over in the corner with my cell phone and my laptop, you know, probably doing meetings and things like that. So, you know, you just kind of have to do that. You got to dip in and out. You're, you know, I mean, that's what we do, right? We, uh, we pivot quickly. We have to, we're flexible. We know that uh, we still have responsibilities when we leave our campuses. Um, when we were advisors, we could, you know, sign off and and leave and go, you know, do all the conference stuff. Well, I'm going to be able to do some of it, but I'm not going to be able to do all of it. But I will do, you know, as much as I can. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm really uh, grateful that I can actually go out and, and enjoy and be a part of the regional experience Um with advisors and so forth. So, um, but yes, I will have to step away from the conference experience to do some, some actual um, work for my current position. <laughs> uh, and with, with both of you also, you, uh, you oversee staff and that kind of leads into this question with, you know, um, I've heard from a lot of certain individuals at some institutions where they're advising centers, maybe they're at 50% capacity with, with the staff that they have, yeah. um, whether it's budget cuts or yeah. employees that have left uh, to go on to some other uh, position. And the hope was that maybe they would have stayed. You know, so when we look at the future, you know, what kind of efforts do you think um, could be put, put forth or you're already putting forth for like the retention of your employees? And I guess in connection to that, if we're thinking of, you know, future administrators, um, how do you plan for like that succession planning? Yeah, that's been that's been very important um, for me. I mean, we've all experienced the great resignation plus, you know, folks finding other passions in their life and that I'm completely 150% supportive of that. But it's, um, I recognize that we, we need to do better uh, for our employees and for our advisors who really have taken on so much specifically during this past few years. They've they are they have empathy fatigue right and they um they've done that so i'm very um happy that we received a grant this year um uh through the Subski foundation in partnership with nakata uh to to implement a one-year uh program uh wellness program really focus simply on you know, taking time out of the day or finding strategies to uh, increase their wellness and just refocus and re-energize um, to 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 serve our students or just for their own well-being as people as humans. Um, so that's been that's been really great, and we we've, we've received really great feedback. I also understand that the pathway to administration is not. Um, 
you know, the higher you want to go up, the less positions that there are. And so what do we do to reinvigorate or to create, um, to allow for innovation in, in their current positions or to create pathways, right? Um, you know, and as a CSU, as a Cal State University system, we're also bound by, by unionized, by union rules. And so there's limitations and things that we have to do in, in, in alignment with that. Um, and so, for example, one of the things that we are doing is we're, work, we're looking at salary parity. We're looking at um, reclassification of certain positions to create um, steps for folks to come in. You know, do we create, you know, what we call SSP1s, which is the, the, the entry level positions and, and allow for two, threes and fours to come we actually, um, I mentioned that we have just gone through a redesign of advising. Um, we actually partner with our HR um, development office to, to create a leadership academy for the leads of each of the centers and in, cent in the central office as well. And I participate in that with the leads as well. So that people feel like we're not just throwing them in there now have to supervise double the, the staff and then um, and then they don't have and they can retool or, you know, or use their strengths to to continue enhancing their skills and their knowledge. And so it is really a multi prong um, approach that we're taking to support our our staff. I just got noticed today that we lost another advisor and the advisor is leaving there's things that I can control and there's things that I can't control. And also going back to my, to my comment about building capacity, you know, if this is going to continue to be an issue where we are not able to retain, obviously we're going to look introspectively, what processes can I have in place or what can I work with human resources that when a vacancy happens, I can quickly refill that position because then the morale of the team that's left behind diminishes. And so, I mean, just saying it, I think about the complexity of all that I just said. Um, and, um, but we can, you know, we just have to keep trying and, and, and to, to really create a supportive community for, for our employees. Here at Illinois, we're, there's um, an initiative on campus through the, it was called the Student Success Initiative. And and as a result of the work that everyone was doing there, um, there was just some really, I guess, kind of low-hanging fruit, so to speak. And one of the suggestions was just to do more campus-level um, advisor kind of outreach or whatever you want to call it, just a way for advisors to connect with one another. And so as a result of that, um, that started this semester, and it's been overwhelmingly successful. So it's bringing advisors together for just one hour a month and allowing, you know, giving them a topic to talk about freely. Um, and there's just been some great, you know, initiatives that are coming out of that. So that's kind of a campus level um, initiative is, you know, to create this sense of community uh, among advisors at a very large decentralized uh, campus. And um, so that's been great. I've really loved being a part of that. Um, here in our department division, we're in the process of rolling out a promo pathway, a promotional pathway for our advisors. And so we're creating a senior advisor coordinator type role um, that would be available to advisors that have three or more years under their belt um, and that are showing, you know, really strong leadership skills. 
um, through their annual performance evaluation. So I'm really excited. That's going to roll. We roll out pretty much this spring and uh, summer. And so we hope to have that all in place. Um, and then we've created just a different kind of approach to working with our uh, advisors. We maintain one remote day uh, per week. Uh, we'll do a full remote calendar after our new student registration uh, program. We'll have, I think, at least two to three weeks that they'll be able to be a re a remote if they want to. They can come in the office if they want, but they can also be remote some or all of that time. We do every month a huddle <laughs> and we give them a topic just to talk about. Um, and it, it can be anywhere, you know, anything to do with process, procedure, you know, just kind of a wicked problem that we've been, you know, that's been hanging around that let's, you know, hash it out and see what we can do to come up with some, some um, approaches that might be more effective working with students, working with staff. I, I did one on training and development. And as a result of that conversation, I came away with so many ideas stuff I never thought about, you know, I thought, oh, they'll, they'll, you know, they're looking to me to give them topics. I'm looking to them. What do you need? What are you feeling, you know, um, untrained on or lack of training on, or what are you, you know, kind of hot topics that you're dealing with with students on a day-to-day -day basis that you feel like you need more. Um, so I came up with this, what I call a menu of professional development topics. And we, I picked the top six and we're chunking through them every every month um, through the semester and I have stuff to focus on for fall already. So anyway, that I, I think it's just approach, you know, being open, being know that, you know, our advisors have great ideas. You know, we hired these folks for a reason. They're brilliant. They're smart. They're world trained and they keep me on my toes. So um, and keep me, you know, fresh and interested in in my day to day. So that's how I approach retention. <laughs> Yeah. And, and yeah, a lot of great ideas from, from the both of you. And, and I am curious though, because, you know, we're talking about things for, for advisors. Um, but for you both as administrators, you know, we were already kind of chatted about how this is a 24 seven job. Uh, Tara's going to be at a conference and already knows that there's various things that are not part of the conference that she's going to have to take time for, for her current job at her oh. institution. What do you both do for yourself for, for wellness? <laughs> okay let me tell you what my goal is <laughs> um i like to do uh, i like to swim i like to get into the water even in the winter i go to the y um i'm committed to getting back into my water aerobics routine um and i walk very um a couple times a day that to me is extremely well first i get to bond with my guy my my little dog and who's a joy and just the best dog on the planet sorry i love him i'm sure cecilia your, your dog is probably great too but my dog is pretty great i know they're like great <laughs> they're all great i i mean we don't deserve dogs but so i think just you know i live in a, a very heavily wooded area with a little lake um and i i really just love nature and i think we have to get up in the morning get out and, you know, I mean, breathe, you know, exercise, move your body a little bit and, and spending time with family, spending time with friends. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing my Nakata buddies. You know, sometimes we only get to see each other once a year and it's to me like a family reunion. I'm very connected to Nakata, as you know, and, um, and I, uh, these are, these are people that I've known for many years and, and I'm super excited to get up there and, 
and reconnect and, you know, meet some new people too, and just share some inspiration about the profession. And anyway, that's what I do. Well, uh, Matt, I do have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, so they keep me uh, entertained and so they make me laugh a lot. So that's really great. Also keep me really busy. Um, my husband and my kids are major Disney, like, obsessed people. Um, so we do have like a Disneyland pass. And so we, we get to go to Disneyland at least once a month and uh, enjoy it. Um, I, one of the beauties of working remotely a couple days out of the week is that I get to have dance parties with my kids. Like when my oldest gets home from school or just with my kid, I just get to snuggle with them or have lunch with, with them. Um, so that's been great. I wish that I can see that I'm like exercising and doing all the yoga stuff and like whatever. But I did try Pilates this year and I really liked it. It just doesn't fit my schedule for like the studio doesn't have the classes, but I really did enjoy it. It was amazing. And so maybe I can do videos, but yeah, I, um, I really try to find little moments. Um, and now that the summer that we had a lot of rain in California. So I know Terry, I'm so sorry. We, we, we had rain for a lot of days and we keep thinking like it was like, like this big thing, <laughs> but it is true. We had a lot of rain. Um, and so now that that spring and summer are coming around, like I do hope to like go on walks in the evenings. Uh, but I need to do, I do need to, to do better. And, you know, I also like to go get my nails done, oh, and get my, you know, like Manny's petties and sometimes I take my kids. Sometimes I don't, they love Manny petties, but I'm like $15 for like little kids to do their manis. Like that's a little too much. Like I will do it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, a little bit of what I do. I'm pretty sure there's a lot more other stuff I do, but that's the main thing. I like the idea that um, that you mentioned about Pilates. I've been wanting to try Pilates, it's so um, and so I I'm gonna that's gonna be my goal. So I I really think that's that could be something that I could get into. Um, yeah, Terry, I loved it. It's like low impact, like yeah. you can still sweat. Like you think it's easy? No, no. When I do the reformer Pilates, mm -hmm. so it's like with the machine. Yeah. And so it's super low impact and it stretches you out. Like, you know, obviously we're sitting in our chairs. like that's Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Well, I, I think I'll look for the lazy girl version of Pilates. But, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. that. Um, but that, I think the stretching idea makes sense. Yeah. I could use some more of that. But anyway, yeah. Um, you know, and I wanted to say that just cooking and being in, you know, gardening, I'm really into that too. And... I live in a condo now, so gardening is a little limited, but you know, you can still do a lot with a balcony. <laughs> <laughs> you make it work. <laughs> I do. I really do. <laughs> I take it seriously. <laughs> so of course, one of the other responsibilities you both have as administrators is a lot of times knowing what the budget is and working with, with that, trying to stretch it out as much as possible. So I'm sure it, it it's come up or will come up or you've thought about it, but with what you have, it's you know, sometimes you have to determine, do you hire more staff? Do you give uh, pay raises? Do you take a chance on your employees with additional responsibilities? How do you factor all that in into determining like if you were to take a risk on, on one of your employees? But how do you navigate all that? 
stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. I just want to say, I don't have a lot of control over our uh, unit budget, but I, I can say that we are... Um, heavily supported through the office of the provost. And um, because of what we do and how we operate, we really operate for the benefit of all the actual colleges at the University of Illinois. And our funding is extremely stable. Um, So we've never really not, I mean, as long as the state of Illinois stays, you know, in relatively good budget shape, then we don't have to worry too much about a budget. I mean, like we have four vacancies in our, for our advising staff. Those were no problem, you know, hire what you need, do what you need to do. Um, Our advisors uh, have $2,500 every two years for their professional development um, funding, and that's stable. Um, So we've not really had to make a lot of decisions um, recently. Um, So I can't really tell you how that we would have to strategize with something like that um, just because we're of the way we're funded through the office of the provost and because they know um, that our success (laughs) equals the campus success, right? How we work with students because of the way they transfer into all the colleges, we have to be very stable. Um, it wouldn't work otherwise the way the model is at this campus. So that's what I have to offer there. Yeah, Matt. Um, so you know we're we're very lucky, like Terry said. Like advising has had a lot of focus both at the campus level and at the system level, um, and there has been a lot of focus and understanding of the impact that we have on student success and meeting our graduation goals. And so I, uh, but I still have to make requests and I have to ensure that I um, do the best job that I can to tell our story. And that is through data and anecdotes, personal, you know, stories. Um, and I mentioned that we were going through a redesign and I had asked for for a budget. We ended up having a little bit of, of money um, left over from that big pot of money that, that, our, uh, pro, that our president made an investment towards. And um, I actually decided to use that money to reclassify folks. Um, and, you know, I could have said, you know, I'll give you the money back, or I could have said, you know, that maybe gives us an opportunity to hire one more advisor. But I really felt that it was the right choice to to make that investment. And again, they are now part of an academy, a leadership academy, where they are going through a a six-month part, a training, leadership training, um, as part of the reclassification process. And so I did take that risk. And I also see it that I'm only not only invest, investing in the people that are in the position right now, but I'm investing long-term um, because it does make sense long-term 
obviously the people that are in those roles are doing a fantastic job and they deserve every single bit of it. But if they were to leave, I want to make sure that I have the capacity to fill in that position, to be competitive, um, to attract other other uh, leads um, who can step into that role. I know it sounds kind of frivolous to say, oh, well, if they leave, I'll be ready to replace. But it just, it's, you know, I have a responsibility to the human mm-hmm. in the current position. That'll be always my, my guiding star and my guiding light. And I also have a responsibility to ensure that we don't have a gap that will impact our student success efforts. Uh, and so it's a balance. Um, and so that is that is a decision that I made recently. Also providing um, stipends or special projects for folks. Um, I don't always have the budget to do to do special stipends, um, but I have made sort of a guideline for me if that um, you know, if we have a vacancy for more than six months or three months, depending on the role, you know, I will advocate for resources for that for for the people that have taken on that responsibility. Um, again, it's not always guaranteed because I don't always have the budget, um, and I try to do that. And um, I also work with my associate provost. She's she's the money lady, um, but you know, I'm the one that you know I'll spend it for her if she lets me. <laughs> So at end the this uh, interview, um, we're recording this at the end of April. Um, this will probably be posted sometime in May. But the first week of May, Nakata celebrates the Global Advising Community. So they have their Global Advising Week and a way to kind of celebrate the work of everyone within academic advising in higher ed. So I kind of want to leave it to, to both of you. If you, there's anyone or a team or you want to shout out, um, here's here's an opportunity. Oh, absolutely. My advisors here um, in the Division of General Studies at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, this crew is amazing. Um, I love them more than ever. They're just so much fun. First of all, they're brilliant, number one. Number two, they're fun to work with. They're vibrant. They're curious. um, They're committed to student success. They're committed to one another um, to make sure each other are being held up and um, and taken care of, I think. And anyway, and just all of our advisors on our campus, I just am very proud to be a part of the advising community community here. And, um, you know, then I mentioned all of my Nakata buddies and I can't imagine going through life without having um, connections with, with folks through Nakata. Um, there's so many people I can't even imagine to start naming people that I've interacted with and, and worked with and done stuff with. But um, anyway, I'm just I'm just proud to be a part of the Nakata uh, mission and and um, ensuring that we promote the profession and we make sure that advisors have the professional development that they need in order to be great. Absolutely. Terry, I mean, I, I think I would say the same exact same thing about our, our team at Cal Poly Pomona and both the folks that, you know, that I, that, you know, report to me and to my area, but just our campus community just is amazing. And it's one of the reasons that I've stayed here for, for a very long time. Um, yeah, it's just so committed to, to our students. I do want to give a 
a shout out to to two people on our campus without you know leaving anyone else out um, uh, is uh, Dr. Terry Gomez, who's our associate provost for student success, who has been a champion for advising on our campus and who has really allowed us to have a transformative impact uh, on our campus, and um, and and Dr. Erin DeRosa, who's um, the director of university advising, who's been my partner in crime um, and my co-conspirator uh, in in making sure that that we um, that we advocate for our advisors that we advocate for our students that we really execute this vision um, that we've had for advising on our campus and so but in general I just I'm so grateful to be part of the Cal Poly Pomona uh, community and um, I feel invigorated by by their work by their partnerships and collaboration so um, yeah I think it's the perfect way to, to end the interview. Uh, but Terry and Cecilia, thank you both for being on the podcast. Thank you again for being on the panel from the Las Vegas Region Conference. Um, it's uh, This is really kind of how I, I got to know the both of you is through Nakata. So yeah. the connections that, that are made, so kind of going to, to Terry's point. Yeah. Um, but thank you both for being on again and appreciate all the information that, that you've shared today. Thank sure. you, Matt. It's been really great. Thank you, Matt. Oh, 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 oh,